back in your earballs once again with another stimulating edition of the greatest podcast for weirdos. Pop culture podcast for weirdos. Though this could just be a podcast for weirdos. My time. My time. Happy hour. I used to be able to like carry that, like the guy from White Snake, David Coverdale. I used to be able to oh, do a, yeah. I used to do a mean still of the night. Do you remember that? How could I forget? Have I ever done that on the show? I won't do it today because I can't like do that anymore. I've done enough. Not enough. My my throat isn't um, liquefied enough. What's the word? It's dry. You got to lubricate your throat. Co- you got to get your throat lubricated. Speaking of which, how's your esophagus doing in this COVID? Like, has like has it stretched out at all? Are you doing okay? I'm actually doing really good. Ever since I had that procedure done last year to stretch out my esophagus, I have like a big boy esophagus now and I can swallow things like an adult. Uh, I've been swallowing things pretty good. I've been actually like anything like I put down my throat, it's going all the way down easy. I, I've been meaning to ask you about that. I'm like, it's like three months we've been inside and you haven't been able to go out to a doctor. Now, I will say this, the moment, so about a week before I, like we went down for, for shelter in place, I realized that when I make a belly, you know, when you like stare at the window mirror and you're like, oh, I'm going to make a belly because I'm a weirdo. Yeah. My belly ex- protrudes on one side bigger than the other side or center. And I'm like, I immediately was like, I have cancer. Um, but realistically, I have no idea what that is. And I really want to go to the doctor to get it looked like. It doesn't hurt. It's just I have one side of my belly just extends further than the other. So what you actually should do for that, uh, so when it happens to me, when one of my sides of my belly extends Wait, this is normal? further than the other... This hey, happens? Well, kind of, yeah. Okay. It happens to me all the time. Uh, my spine is out of alignment, and I need to go to the chiropractor to get it adjusted. That means that uh, my one shoulder is pushing forward, my other shoulder is pushing back. And I, you know, you've seen me when I get like the hunchback thing. Yeah, no, uh, but okay. That's that's. But th- when that happens, my spine compresses and it twists, and my one uh, my one fat roll rolls over further past the other one. And it looks like I'm kind of you know standing. It looks like I'm standing like sassy at an angle, but really my spine is just misaligned. 40 sucks. It's the worst. But never turn 40. Yeah, never turn 40. But what do we have in store for the kids this week, Hambone? Well, if you've been listening to the Mind to Happy Hour, you know we are huge fans of Elizabeth Moss. She's got a new movie out right now. You can watch it on Hulu. It's called Shirley. We are also going to talk about the rise and fall and then rise again of AMC theaters they're going to be opening up a thousand locations nationwide and we've definitely got some thoughts on movies reopening during the covid era vfw which is a fangoria movie came out uh earlier this year we just finally got to watch it so we've got some thoughts and something that i've been waiting for since years ago when i heard it was going to be a thing one of my favorite movies of all time Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They made one, they made two, and now in the year of our Lord 2020, Bill and Ted face the music. So Bill and Ted 3 is coming out. They dropped the trailer today. I've got some thoughts on it. And you know me, I'm normally against sequels, but I am all in for Bill and Ted. I have so many questions about that. So many questions. I just want to let everybody know that I know for the few of you, maybe three of you who were excited for the finale of my Bioshock um bioshock what is this like the the anniversary reveal i don't know more like my switch review uh we're gonna hold off on bioshock infinite this week just because of the sheer amount of overt non-overt uh you know subliminal and not subliminal racism throughout the game we just felt it might be good to pause for a little bit we will eventually get back to it but uh and i do have a lot of thoughts on on why I don't know what what made them think of doing something like this, but you know we're we're gonna pause. We are going to let you guys breathe, and we're gonna talk about movies for a little while because we haven't talked much about movies. We're also talking about two movies that I thought were horror and not really. We're struggling to find horror movies this year, people. We're struggling it's a, a weird lot. year for horror. It's weird for horror. We'll talk about that later. But first, I would like a cocktail, Hambone. What do you have in store for us this week? So from The Undertow, which is a tiki bar that GLK is dying to go to, it is in Phoenix, Arizona. They have a cocktail called the El Diablo, which is a variation on the Trader Vic's uh, El Diablo. And this is pretty fantastic. It is an ounce and a half of tequila, and you want to use Blanco tequila. Uh, very different kind of flavor profile on it, so make sure you try to find the specific brand they use is Anzula. You could go with any kind of uh, white tequila that would really work for you. Half an ounce of cream de cassis, uh, which I'm always saying wrong, but it is uh, a grape liqueur. 
Uh, you want a half ounce of real ginger syrup, and we always recommend you use the real stuff or any th approximation close enough to it. You could always hit up Lieber & Co. because you know they got the hookup there. Half ounce of fresh lime juice, except no substitutions. Always use fresh lime. So you're going to add all the ingredients into a shaker, and you're going to shake it up with ice for about 10 to 15 seconds. You're going to double strain it into a glass over fresh ice, and you're going to top it with club soda. And you want to garnish it with a dehydrated lime wheel. And maybe, if you're feeling fancy, a sprig of mint. So the El Diablo from the Undertow in Phoenix, Arizona, bottoms up. I want to go to Undertow so bad. I want to go back to Phoenix so bad. Uh, Phoenix has a couple great tiki bars. There's a legendary one up north that I'm blanking on the name right now, but there's also modern tiki in, in the Phoenix area. I think it's the um, the town that starts with an S, Scottsdale, uh, that's outside of Phoenix. And then there is Undertow, which I would kill to go to. It is just one of the coolest-looking tiki bars. I am I'm just... I just want to go so bad. They, their tiki mugs are incredible. Everything about them is incredible. Uh, they have like they've been doing um, virtual uh, happy hours throughout this whole thing. So they've been doing like giveaways of their mugs. They've been doing eBay auctions. They've been doing stuff to keep people excited about their their tiki establishment. And I'm I'm super excited to see where they go after all this. You know what? Especially with everything that's been going on. With bars being forced to close and now bars finally reopening, I am pulling for every tiki bar out there across the United States of America. I'm hoping that you're able to reopen without any issues. Shout out to our friends over at Lunwa. We are hoping for a smooth transition to get all of our friends back behind the bar and to get all our friends in front of the bar again. So here's to you. So I saw Shirley this week. Shirley just dropped on On Demand. I think it's available on Hulu. And it is the new vehicle for Elizabeth Moss. She has obviously had an amazing career since Mad Men. I'm actually very surprised at at how she pretty much is the standout person for Mad Men. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I'd 100% agree. You know, everyone loves to talk about John Hamm. However, she really was the glue that held the show together. I, I don't understand. I mean, she's a great actress. It's just she was such a weird, peculiar part in Mad Men that I'm like, okay, so... I'm curious to see what her career could No, she went full on horror. She's made some great movies. She was in uh, the movie we saw last year with the people who lived underneath the, you know, our, our replicants. What, what was that movie called? So good in the movie theaters. Uh, with the people who live in the flip side world underneath us. I'm drawing a blank. I'm so drawing a blank. I'm the worst. Handmaid's Tale is awful. I'm kidding. It is awesome. You, however, are considered probably the most feel bad television in the world right now. Would you agree? Oh, I'd 100% agree with that. Yeah, that's something that I wasn't really psyched on watching before because I don't want to watch Feel Bad TV. Now I definitely don't want to watch it. My goodness. <laughs> well, I love Feel Bad TV. She is making some great Feel Bad movies. This is not Feel Bad. So I went into this thinking it was horror. It is not horror. This is basically the story of uh, Shirley Jackson. She wrote The Haunting, which I think was turned into The Haunting of Hill House. I don't think it's based, I think it's loosely based. I've not read her books, but she's a very esteemed, famous horror writer from the 40s, 50s, 60s. And this is about maybe the last year or two of her life. This is a historical fiction movie, Hambone. Do you like historical fiction? I can go either way in historical fiction. Right? Like, I'm a little bit, as a former reporter and a person who consumes nonfiction like crazy, I am a little bit, like, it's, I kind of want to like historical fiction, but I also am like, but this is real. I think I enjoy movies like Inglorious Bastards more, where it's just so tongue-in-cheek that, that, you know, you know it from the beginning, that this is, you know, you're getting fiction and you're getting it so insanely off the cuff and so different from history that it doesn't bother me. I think when it's movies like the 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 other movie by Quentin Tarantino, that, that Hollywood movie that came out last year. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Where it's like pretty much kind of the straight story all the way to the end, and then they kind of swerve you, and I think it kind of makes it more, I don't know, it's bothersome because I feel like it's almost putting down the deaths that happened to Sharon Tate and them. That kind of bothers me. In this case, it's more like they wanted to show how crazy uh, Shirley Jackson was towards the end of her life 
by incorporating fictional characters to help bring it out. So this is a story about her and her husband and the two of them uh, living in this lovely home and she is trying to write, but she is kind of batshit crazy. I can't tell whether she is literally going mad or if she's got some sort of, you know, mental illnesses. It's not quite clear, but she is, you know, they've made it clear that she's kind of bonkers and her husband is also kind of, crazy he's like out womanizing they've got a weird relationship well he brings in this young man and woman uh their name is rose and his name is fred rose and fred what great names uh for imaginary characters they're brought into their home uh fred is going to be the kind of like the understudy for her husband stanley who's this famous professor and rose has to stay with shirley rose is pregnant Shirley is crazy. So it's hilarity ensues. No, it doesn't. It's kind of weird. This is a movie that's really well acted. Everybody in it is tremendous. The performances are great, but the story is kind of not a story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's one of my major problems with historical fiction. Because you either have a story that is good, or you have a story that you need to take liberties with. Like if it's just a, normally a good story, it would just be it would just be, you know, a story about history. But historical fiction, it's like, well, we have to tweak it a little bit to actually be able to make it into a full-length feature film. I mean, up until the point where you say that people are imaginary, what you were describing was Elizabeth Moss and Mad Men. <laughs> you know, and so it's kind of like, uh, you know, we, we've, we've seen that ship already. Oh, she wasn't, she, she wasn't really crazy as much as she was just like, kind of just vindictive. I don't know. I, I can't really explain that. In, in this one, she does play a crazy writer. She is someone who is just in bed all the time. Not, doesn't wake up. It definitely could be depression. They're just not very, they don't clarify it in the movie. And it's just, and just she, it, it's just her living her life in, in, in her madness. And again, it's a good movie in that the acting kind of makes you interested in what's going on. But the truth is, I feel like these are the type of movies where it's a writer writing a movie about a writer writing for writers i you know what i mean it's like it's like an actor's actor's movie kind of like birdman remember that movie yeah i felt that was a giant wank off fest this is not like that but it kind of is and the the big part of this it it, it kind of is a movie where the fake actor don't fake that the fictional characters in it become what is the story that that Shirley is working on. It's it's a story about this this woman who disappears and she's got to figure out what the hell happened to her, but she's not really leaving the house to do research. And basically she kind of turns this these characters into her characters. And it just, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie. I really thought it was going to be a horror movie. It is not a horror movie. It is not a thriller. It is kind of a drama about depression and, and mental illness but not in the way that brings light to it. It's more just, again, it's an author's movie, and I think it probably would win a lot of awards if it were released in movies. I think it's kind of like just going to exist now. The reviews are great. Look, perfect reason. This is where Rotten Tomatoes does, we're paying attention to it, does help. It's got like an 88% critic review, which means media darling, critic darling, but the fan review is like 50% rotten, which leads me to believe that I'm not the only one who feels this way. So a couple points. First, uh, the movie you were referring to before was Us. Yeah, I, I actually looked it up while you were doing it too. I, I completely, Us was not even in my, like on the tip of my tongue, sadly. I love that movie, but it was not, I was thinking like a quiet place. I don't know what I was thinking. So you know, us, I think that Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in any role that she's in. Uh, I just recently saw her in The Invisible Man, which is uh, out now on video on demand, and she's fantastic in it. Like in that, for all intents and purposes, from what I've been reading, it's kind of like the soft relaunch of the Universal Monster Universe because they're starting to realize that we don't have to make a kind of shared cinematic universe we can just use all these characters and if something happens organically it happens but you know for a person to go into act against an invisible per an invisible man for all intents and purposes she's great this movie sounds a lot like inside baseball yeah where 
If you are a depressed writer, man, this might be the vehicle for you. However, for everybody else, it seems like there's a lot of disconnect in even the movie that they're trying to make uh, from the way you're describing it to me. So probably not going to check this one out. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I didn't understand the ending, and I'm not sure. It has one of those endings where, like, the girl, Rose, may or may not be dead, but it also might just be like the imaginary thought of what this girl is to help Shirley write the book. Maybe all of this was in Shirley's head and these people weren't actually living with them. It's one of those things where I don't play. It's, it's definitely more artsy than fartsy. Yeah. Sometimes you, you need to, to stick the landing with a little more fartsy. If you're making a movie, that's a little too artsy. And I have a feeling a lot of people will love this movie because the acting is so good. I just, it definitely wasn't a Friday night movie that I failed on. I failed twice this weekend because I also failed on VFW, but uh, I was like, oh, let's do Shirley. First of all, I'm such a, I'm such out of whack these days that I thought Shirley was actually about Shelley. And this was a story about the woman who wrote Frankenstein's monster. Oh, yeah. And they've made movies like that too, like several of them at this point. I just, I like so blew it. Like Allison comes in while I'm making dinner and she's like, what are we watching? I'm like, we're going to watch Shelly. It's about the lady who wrote Frankenstein. And it's like, it's not, I'm like so fucking out of whack these days. Um, but I look, I watched it. It was, it was great. I really could have used a different mo- Fridays are for me. It's like, I want wanton violence. I want action adventure. Um, horror, not necessarily. That's kind of like my Saturday night. Thinking, I usually go for Sunday. Like, I've relaxed all weekend. I can do thinking, except Sunday is now 90 DA fiancé. So there's that, um, which we'll get into later because I forgot that should have been a whole segment on its own. But uh, so that's that. That's Shirley. I, again, great movie for Elizabeth Moss. She, she was amazing. All the actors in it are very good. It's just as far as a story, it doesn't really give me enough about her life. It's not really the story of her life. It's like a, a year of her life while she's trying to write this book. And at the twilight of her life or twilight, is that the end of your light? I think it is the end of your life. But twilight's the end. Yes. And and it is what it is. Uh, you know, if you are a, I think Matt Giaquinto might love this movie just for the acting. He's that type. I'm sure it was shot beautifully too. He probably could explain to us better too. Yeah, movies, buddy. Movies. AMC just released their numbers on Tuesday. What is it? Two point two billion dollars in down. I mean, it's not surprising they've been closed for a quarter. Oh yeah, taking a bath. And that not, that's not even the quarter. That's through March, which means their next quarter is going to be terrifying. I don't know how they're going to kick out of this one, if I'm being 100% honest with you. There's no person who wants AMC to succeed more than me. I mean, that is the, the theater chain that I've been going to for like, I don't know, like, what, 30 years? That's like the theater chain that, like, I... they're where I go no matter where I would travel in the United States. They are the movie theaters that I would go to. I've been a Stubbs member. I'm a premiere member, which reminds me I have to cancel because there's no way I'm fucking going to a movie theater anytime soon. And like seeing this is kind of really eye-opening to me because you know a theater chain, any theater chain, AMC, Regal, Bowtie, whoever, they're always down in Q1 of every year because there's not a ton of movies that come out when you're kind of exiting from Christmas season into the early spring. However, uh, what's happening right now is completely unprecedented where uh, states have been shut down, the movie theaters have been shut down, and people cannot go to the movies, nor do a lot of people want to go to the movies because we're supposed to not be congregating (laughs) too many of us together in closed spaces because coronavirus. Look, I, I get it. And so they announced that they're reopening in July. Uh, was it July 21st or the 17th? I think they're trying to time it with that, with either Mulan or that other big tentpole movie that's supposed to be coming out. I honestly don't think Disney is going to release Mulan in July, to be fair. Like, I just don't think, I think they're going to hold that again. And I, I don't understand, I don't understand any of the right. Look, they have to obviously be positive. They're not going to be super negative. Then again, they can't be like, they can't be all rah-rah because they can't lie to the street. And then the street, like, you know, it's way worse if they if they oversell themselves. But, you know, the, the CEO is like, oh, it's going to be all good things from here. I don't know, Hambone. I don't understand how people are going to go back to the movies after this. I just don't know. Like, I, they didn't talk at all about what theaters are going to look like. Uh, you know, people are thinking 25% capacity. But 
that's what we're thinking. I don't know. And I am just... I've actually read an article. Uh, theaters, when they open up, are going to be 25% capacity. No more than 100 people can be allowed in a single theater at one time. Uh, they're also talking, and they're going back and forth on it, about seat coverings, disposable seat coverings, which, you know, if it's a paper one, that's going to be easily rippable. It's going to be making crinkly cracklies, too many sounds. If it's a plastic one, it is going to get kind of gross and greasy, uh, and they're going to have to, like, throw it out. They talk about cloth ones that they're going to have to clean after every single showing in a theater. So right off the bat, now, granted, for people who might not have ever been in the restaurant industry, big money restaurants make because of selling sodas. Selling sodas is like pennies on the dollar to make a soda. So whatever the markup is, that's all profit. So in order for them to stay afloat, they're going to have to sell a lot of soda. Because, yo, in the springtime, I could totally see them being 25% capacity if they're selling as that many tickets and that's how it works, that's how it works. But summer blockbuster season, 25% capacity, having to stringently clean theaters after every single showing, which is going to ultimately mean not only 25% capacity, no more than a hundred in a theater at a time. It's going to mean less showings of movies because they're going to have to consistently be cleaning up with that. And not to mention the environmental impact of having to say either dispose of the disposable probably at first they're just going to take whatever they can get non-biodegradable and I'm just I'm fantasy booking here seat covers or the environmental impact of the amount of water and cleaning supply they're going to have to use to clean the seat covers of all the seats after people have been consistently in them like I don't know how they're going to be able to keep up with that uh, so I don't know how they're going to be able to go from losing billions of dollars to making making that up this year. I don't know when they're going to be in the black again. I don't know. Did you notice that they also kind of spun their wheels a little bit on the Universal thing? They're like, oh, no, we're good friends with the Universal. Then I realized, oh, yeah, Universal threatened to pull Fast and the Furious and uh, whatever other big blockbusters they have on AMC. They still might. And, you know, so AMC can, like, say all they want about how they're not going to show, uh, they're not going to show Universal movies, but I can't see them saying, we're not going to take the new Fast and the Furious movie. I just don't see it. Well, you know what? People vote with their dollars. And to be honest, I think Universal or any studio chain, it might be worth it for them to just say, you know what? Screw it. We are going to wait till next year. When we know we can get more people in these seats and we know we could actually make some money with this movie. And, you know, when whatever theater chains in business at that point might be a little more agreeable to the way we do business. Or people saw that Trolls movie in droves. That Trolls movie made so much money. Trolls World Tour, one of the first like tent pole movies, released video on demand the day it was supposed to come out because it could not go to theaters because theaters were not open anywhere. Like, you're going to see a point where people who have now been like, well, I got the movies I kind of wanted to see anyway, sitting on my couch, safe from any kind of potential illness, and I saved a bunch of money just watching it at home on my 4K television. Why the fuck would I go back to the theaters with all this bullshit going on? Hambone, I don't think, in all honesty, I'm going to go back to a movie theater until there's either a vaccine or this or the disease just w works itself away. Um that's just the way I feel. It's We're not talking about outdoors. Outdoors, I have completely different feelings about. I mean, if you can socially distance outside, even like without masks, you're far enough away from people. It's a lot harder to catch a cold. When you're talking about sitting in a giant room for two hours with recycled air in some chairs that other people have had their heads lying on, like that's not. I'd rather just wait for the movie from my house. Like, there's a completely different thing. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, the Jersey Shore here where people are standing on top of each other. But, I mean, like, look, if you just want to go out and, you, like, and you're being safe and, you know, cautious, uh, more power to you. I'm okay with it. I don't – my level of risk is much lower there. You put me in anything, like my job, and we talked about today with my boss. Um, we had our VP on, and I was just, like, flat out, like, what are we thinking here? Because – 
you know, I don't want to go back to work and wear a mask all day. Like, I just don't like, like, I don't want to do that for nine hours. And, and she's like, neither do we. And we're really like looking at, we just want to see how this mutates into the, into the fall. So it, it is what it is. I just, uh, you know, when you're talking about Petri dishes, massive campuses at work, you know, schools, movie theaters, uh, it's it's a much scarier situation than say even theme parks like Universal supposedly had a very good reopening again outdoors if you social distance you're not on top of each other you're not breathing on each other different situation I, I, movie theaters are not enticing me right now now they were gross beforehand and now it's like with everything else I mean look we we do we, we review a lot of programs a lot of movies a lot of things on this show. I'm going to just say out loud now, until there's a vaccine or a real legitimate treatment, there's no way in shit I'm stepping foot in a movie theater to watch something. Because I am betting the farm that most of these big studios are going to be like, yeah, we probably would make more money just sending them direct to VOD. Let's just let it ride. Uh, I think I really think that's the future. Trolls unlocked Pandora's box. I also believe that we are in a situation where a lot of people that live in metropolitan areas like New York are way less likely to go to the movies and say, you know, an area that is more rural and, and you know, maybe there isn't as much COVID right now and they don't have it. I, I, New York, though, is a big money area. You lose in New York, you lose in L.A., you lose Philadelphia, you're losing major movie markets. So I think that's going to be a challenge as well. Yeah, I agree. So we're going to see how it shakes out. I am always pulling for the theaters because I love the movie going experience and it does still break my heart that yeah, I'm not going to be a part of that experience for a very long time, but good luck. <laughs> um, I look, if you are way bigger at the movies fan than I am since I had a kid. So you'd be there before I would. So we'll see what happens. I um, saw another movie this week. I saw VFW uh, it is a movie about a VFW hall that comes under attack by uh, meth heads. Uh, some we're nondescript drug that we are not going to call meth or anything. I think it's like drug of the future. I don't know. But it's called Hype. Oh, the hype. The hype behind this movie. Uh, so this movie has been critically acclaimed by horror fans, and I think it's because people are fucking desperate right now. I I wanted so bad to love VFW. Uh, it's a movie. Uh, it's an 80s-style movie in the vein of, like, Mandy, Color of Space, but more, um, more in the... Um, more in, like, the action 80s-type movie. Like, lots of gore, lots of blood, but... It didn't really know what it was going to be, whether it wanted to be like Escape from New York or whether it just wanted to be like Commando. I don't know. I'll get to that. It is very simply a movie where there is a punk rock drug dealer who is selling this drug called Hype. Hype turns you kind of into a zombie. They don't really explain that, but pretty much everyone's kind of zombie-ish. Uh, this girl he kills who's high on it, uh, His her sister runs away from the the punk rock drug gang uh, with uh, the stash and, and manages to escape to a local VFW hall where ex-army veterans, looks like a bunch of uh, former Vietnam vets, are hanging out, drinking, talking about the past, and an army of savage hype heads attack the VFW hall, and they have to protect themselves and escape and save themselves Hambone, I thought this was going to be Green Room. I was really expecting Green Room with slightly old vets who are like, fuck, we were Marines. We are going to murder our way out of these fucking punk rockers. And no, it turns into like a bad zombie movie. What were your thoughts? So first, I just want to read everybody the IMDB description on this. Because when you hear the description, you're like, well, fuck, I'm in. It says a group of war veterans must defend their local VFW post and an innocent teen against a deranged drug dealer and his relentless army of punk mutants. So that was the first thing I had heard about the movie when I that was the, the synopsis that I had seen uh, when I first heard this movie. And I was like, well, shit, that sounds awesome. And the movie is a very is very well casted because, you know, you have William Sadler from the Shawshank Redemption. You have Fred Williamson, who is 
a grindhouse legend. Uh, most people who may not be familiar with the grindhouse genre would know him from his uh, spot and from Dust Till Dawn. You also have uh, Stephen Lang, who has been in everything from Avatar to Don't Breathe to Tombstone, Michael Mann's Manhunter. I mean, he has been everywhere, right? You also have Martin Cove from Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, David Patrick Kelly. Luther from the Warriors. George went from Cheers is in this. I mean, you can't really go wrong. The cast is great. The movie, I I really did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. But I, I, like you, got a completely different experience than I thought I was going in there for. It takes about a half hour to get off the ground. And you really see like this band of brothers, ex-veterans hanging out together and, you know, just talking about where their place is in the world and just getting ready to celebrate uh, the one's birthday. And then everything goes sideways and they have to fight their way out of this VFW hall. So it does have that kind of warriors meets commando kind of vibe to it. And it does, in a lot of ways, devolve into a bad zombie movie. I really enjoyed it, but it took me a little while to kind of figure out what I was watching. I went in tired, and I kind of wanted something to wake me up. This didn't do it. I felt it was long-winded conversations followed by waves of zombie attacks and some pretty good gore effects stuff. You know, in the cheese ball manner, I enjoyed that. It was fun, but I at no point felt like these these you know former vets these former marines like were anything but like old grandpas trying to fight back like they had they made weapons there's like oh we're gonna make our weapons but they don't use them they do really stupid shit like they just go i'm gonna go out and talk our way out of this like they have guns other people have guns like it's just it it makes no like nothing follows any sort of cohesion. Uh, most of the old guys die, so it's not even like they really are able to. And it's just endless waves of mutant hype drug addicts. They're not even zombies. They're actually killing normal people. Uh, it's so it's so bad. The bad guys are horrible. I mean, it's so not like it, it's so generic. It that's what it is. It's generic. Did it feel like a video game to you? Yes, that's why I'm saying like. Double Dragon, yeah, over and over, and it generic, yes, generic, yes. generic people. Even like some of the some of the vets, even like are just, oh, you're the first ones could die, so we didn't see you. You didn't have a dialogue spot yet. We're also gonna bring in some young marine that we're just gonna have him, so there's someone who actually can fight back. Like this, I really told Alice this would be green room with with um it's gonna be me green room meets the Expendables. That's how I sold it. Do you know how good that movie would have been? Oh, my God. And that's kind of what I was hoping for. That's kind of where I was at, where I was like, okay, this is this is how they master the genre. Because Green Room is, is still, to me, a masterpiece. Uh, and it certainly does hit home for me for a lot of different reasons. As a touring musician, Like you never know where you're going to end up. And thank God I never ended up there. However, I've seen other movies that are produced by Fangoria recently. Fangoria is recently having some trouble right now with Cinestate. So I'm not sure how many more of these movies are going to be produced uh, with some of the current people who are working there. However, their movies always have that kind of haziness to them where I I don't know if it's a camera thing or a directorial choice, but there's always parts in there that are kind of hard to watch because they're not very well lit. So my one major critique with this movie is that if you are not watching it in like a really dark room, there are parts in there that are so red and hazy, I couldn't fucking tell what was going on. It was very hard to watch. I don't know if you had the same experience. I know you got a brand new TV, but uh, watching it on mine, I was like, "I'm what the fuck is going on here? It's dark." Yeah, I, I had the I, I've got mine tuned up, and I and I had all the we watched it at night. All the windows were like it was it was lit up properly. I had, I didn't have an issue with seeing what I was seeing. It wasn't like watching the Battle of the Wall in Game of Thrones. Let's put it that way. But I'm gonna give this a review that I think is the right review, which is if you're into grindhouse c-rated trauma type movies where you know what you're getting into go watch this movie you will love this movie if you're going in for an hour and a half of just like gore schlock cheesy acting you know the acting's actually pretty good it's just like the dialogue drones on and on and i'm like i don't want 15 minutes of conversation about the war followed by waves of just rando 
zombie drug addicts. I don't care for anybody. Even though these are great actors, I found myself not really giving a shit about any of the characters because there's too many of them to begin with, even the good guys. But again, if you want that type, and there are a lot of people who love those type movies. I even like those movies when I know that's what I'm getting. Don't go into this thinking it's Green Room meets Expendables. It's not. This was not the war I was looking for. But I didn't think I was looking for another Bill and Ted's movie. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure movie. But here we are. And, you know, it's coming. I saw the preview. I thought the preview was, first of all, I don't remember the sequel being good. I don't remember people really being hyped on, I mean, hyped when it came out. But I don't remember, you know, in terms of legacy, the second movie mattering much. But this is like a direct sequel of the sequel. So... There's that. Well, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out in the late 80s, and it's a fucking masterpiece. I mean, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a perfect movie. Not a perfect 80s movie. It's just it's a perfect movie from start to back. Anytime you watch it, you're going to kind of fall into it. It's a time travel movie. For those of you who might not have seen it, uh, Bill and Ted are two burnout buddies who start out in high school trying to start a band, were never very good at playing their instruments because they never practiced. They're about to fail out of high school. One of them's going to get shipped off to military camp unless they pass this major history exam that takes place in front of the entire school at the end of the year. They get a time machine and have to go back and team up with many historical figures in order to pass this test. And the fate of the universe depends on it because they are the ones who are tasked with writing the song that unites the entire world, that brings everyone together, that creates world peace, that saves the planet. And they're two, you know, two doofuses from San Dimas, California. So the first movie was about that. The second movie was about a force coming from... Now, the second movie was not nearly as good as the first one. It's one of those movies that you go back and watch later on and you really enjoy it. But at the time, everyone was kind of like scratching their heads like, what the fuck? We just saw this perfect movie. What is this? But uh, an even, evil man from the future comes back to try to kill Bill and Ted to prevent them from writing the song that creates all the harmony in the universe. They die. They have to come back. Wackiness ensues, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Now, Bill and Ted Face the Music takes place 25 years after Bill and Ted's bogus journey. They still have not written the song to unite the world and bring everyone together and bring peace and harmony to the galaxy. So, future dudes, and that is an exact term, uh, come and tell them, like, what's up, you guys? 25 years ago, you did the greatest concert ever, and now you're playing at a open mic in Barstow. You gotta write the song. The world's falling apart. Let's get it together. And wackiness ensues. Bill and Ted face the music. Don't get me wrong. This is the movie we do need right now. Like, if there was a song that could save our world right now, I, I'd be all for it, except it probably would be written by, like, Creed or something. It, like, I probably wouldn't like the vocals. Like, that's what would happen. How do you think they got Keanu? Like, it's got to be a good story for Keanu to be signed on for this, right? Well, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter have never stopped being friends. They've always, they they bonded and became friends forever on Bill & Ted. Uh, when Alex Winter, who does direct a lot of uh, movies and cartoons and documentaries, uh, he made a movie years ago called Freaked. He actually got Keanu Reeves, whose star was completely on the rise, to get in like a monster costume and be in the movie. Like, they're bros. They, you know, they always said if there was a, a script for it and it was good, they would come back and do Bill and Ted 3. And so Ed Solomon, who was the person who wrote the original movie, uh, he wrote the script. They loved it. And they said, let's do it. So now they spent last year, maybe a little bit of the year before shooting Bill and Ted Face the Music. And it's one of those things where you know, at the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey, spoilers, folks, it's, it's been 20 years, I can say this out loud, you kind of figure that, okay, they win the battle of the bands, they go, they write the song, they save the universe, there's never going to be another Bill and Ted movie, but now you have Bill and Ted who are, like, they're they're older than me, they're like, they're in their mid-40s, early 50s, they've got kids, they've got lives, and like, they still have not written this song and so now they have to go on another time traveling adventure to try to figure out how to do this because the world's not in a really good spot and this is the time when the song needs to get done uh so yeah Keanu was all on board I mean Keanu just like having a complete 
renaissance of his career where he gets to do what he wants. I mean, he became the biggest thing in the world with The Matrix. And then he just kind of made some other movies and played with his band. And then he comes back and does John Wick. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We love Keanu. I want to see it. I got to be honest with you. I need to go back and watch the first Bill and Ted movie. I I don't think I've seen it since it was originally on cable. And for me, when I think back, it, it blends too much in with Wayne's World and Beavis and Butthead and those type of movies that were per- prevalent at that time. So I would dare say, and I, I mean, I'll probably get some heat for this, that, you know, Bill and Ted was the best of all three. Now, Beavis and Butthead was one long, one-dimensional fart and dick joke. That's all it was. Wayne's World was a four-minute skit that they did turn into a pretty masterful movie, but that's kind of like all it was. You don't really see a lot of people getting Wayne's World tattoos nowadays, but you do see people with the Bill and Ted's phone booth. Bill and Ted means a lot to a lot of people, and it was a lot of first-thought humor in there because it was an 80s comedy. There's a lot of second-thought theater, second-thought humor to it, a lot of depth to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. Well, Bogus Journey is kind of what it is, but Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, this should be the movie. If you're trying to redeem yourself, George, for VFW and try to redeem yourself for Shirley, put it over the plate this Friday night. Pop in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and you and Allison just enjoy yourself. I will, but you know, we have so much 90 Day Fiance to watch right now that I don't actually know how to watch anything other. I've, uh, you know, I've approached other people about doing a, a 90 Day Fiance podcast, but I'm like, what would I even, I don't even know how I would like relate to that. Um, by the way, Bill and Ted, August 21st, if movies are open, we'll see what happens. I'm betting on seeing it out on my couch. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yep, at some point, at some point. But uh, 90 Day Fiance, the show that you just love hearing me talk about, this was the before the 90 Day Fiance spinoff. This is the one where it's like the one side of the couple goes to the other country to brain in the love of their life and like commit to them and hopefully propose to them and then bring them over here on the K-1 visa, which then leads to 90 Day Fiance, the main show. Hambone, not a sick, only one of the couples got married. They're not doing very well. In fact, the during the tell-all, the other gentle, the gentleman in the relationship almost said it. I know because we've seen the uh, 10 hours of raw footage that he actually asked people, he asked the, the other people on the tell-all, is it okay in America for your white wife to use the N-word at you all the time? That that actually happened. Um, and uh, that sadly did not make it to air, but he got close, but we all know that's actually what he says. That's the only one that got married. The rest of there is one couple on the show that weren't invited to the tell all because it came out afterwards that he beat his other wives that uh, that he had prior to the one he was dating. So he wasn't invited on the tell all. There is Big Ed, Big your favorite Big Ed, pretty much got got eviscer got eviscerated by his uh, his his former um, love of his life uh, from and so all this is on Zoom or whatever platform it's all like on virtual video so the keyboard warriors full force like i've never seen anything like this like there was the moderator didn't even need to speak because the other people on the show just like murdered the other people because you got this is a weird show handbone i don't think we've ever talked about where the couples don't know each other it's not like they're all together they're in different countries they're different states it's basically like six different couples five different couples since their stories spun together but they're not like they're not they don't know each other. So this is a lot of times they've watched the show and then they have just like shit to say. And a lot of time it's just like, you know, you're making a mockery of our of of the process of like finding love, true love outside of the country. And in many cases, you're like, some of this is straight up, you know, bullshit. Like, like there's at least two couples. One was full on um it was catfished this season, and another one, he found her and she like just like keep giving me money, keep giving me money. Yeah, I'll, I'll maybe return your calls. Keep giving me money. Keep it's just there's so much of that. But here's the thing, Hambone. I am very curious to see how this show continues with like the current state of. I believe there's a visa blackout. I don't think any of these visas are being approved right now by the government. So I'm curious to see where this show goes. But I I'm still. Very sad that I was not able. This would have been the season to do it, to have done the sit down with you and maybe Matt Giaquinto and done like, I want to watch Hambone, watch the last episode and just like 
get your true reactions on air. It would have been some of the most compelling content we've ever done outside of throwing ninja stars at you. Which, by the way, we did. Which, by the way, we did. And sadly, the tape recorder didn't record, so like we didn't get it on camera. But I just want to let you know, it wasn't the scarring wasn't too bad. Hambo's he- healing up well. Yeah, and thank God no one can see the, this figurement on my arms. But anyway, the knee jerk that I have with this, hearing you talk about it for this long, forty uh, something episodes, I I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, this is a long way to go to get famous enough to be able to go on cameo. Like that's a lot of work. And, and look, the ones that are in it for real don't do shit afterwards. Like they did the show, they got paid a little bit, but it was like actually like how they met their husband. They have kids. Like the best ones are the ones where you find out afterwards they have kids. They're happy. They're not trying to be like Instagram famous. But the ones that are, and there were a lot of them this season. Oh, Hambone, there was so many of them. Like it was just it, it, this season was the most insane is the reason why 90 day fiance has replaced the office as the most uncomfortable television to watch and it's actually quote unquote reality so it's well what season is this i don't know i can't even figure it out anymore because there's think about it like this think about it like the real world remember there was a point where the real world was more or less and i'm using air quotes here reality tv because not enough people had seen it yet to be like, okay, I could go on this show and I could use it as a platform to to boost my career to move on to other bigger, better things. Like, you know, for for all intents and purposes, I think maybe at least the first three seasons, maybe four of the real world, it's just like, well, we're kind of getting like these real visceral reactions from the people in these houses because there is no they're just on this show and, and people are only going to kind of see what's happening on this show and it's going to be how we edit it together and that's how we're going to call it a day. Now, you know, especially shows like The Real World, Real World, Rose Rules Challenge, whatever other fucking shows they produce nowadays and shows like this, once you get past the point where people actually know what it is and they see people how people are reacting, like they're going into it with a different set of ideas of how they're going to conduct themselves on these shows. Does that make sense? Does that like feel like that's what's happening on these shows? Yeah, it also gave me a brainstorm. Uh, my our the other vice president, not my boss, but my uh, like a parallel vice president in our company is the former uh, like VP of comms for MTV and was there for the creation of uh, Real World. I got when we when we come out of this and we stop sheltering in place, I think I should try to get her at least to call in and talk to us a little bit about what it was like if she can talk to it. And she talks about it at work. I'd be curious to see what she can speak to about what it was like in the early seasons of of the real world because that was the that and Survivor basically created this genre. I think Survivor Survivor created the contest based reality, and Real World created the oh like a day in the life of just seeing people live their lives type like the, what became the Housewives and and Ninety Day Fiance and all that. Um, I got I I'll ask her about that. But the thing with this show is it's still. And we've talked about it with Matt before. What makes it so engaging is that one half of the couples in most of these countries have no idea what the fuck a 90-day fiancé is. This show is not in, like, Siberia or Nigeria or the Philippines. Like, these people, some of these other halves live in such squalor where they're not, like— they're gonna, they're probably told by their 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 boyfriend whatever that they're being filmed for a TV show about marrying someone overseas, but most of them don't speak English and they have to talk through a Google Translate like through the Google app. Like I don't think it's hard to script reality when you have at least one half of the couple not being able to speak the language. So that's why this show is still engaging. But there are plenty one sided ones where the other half is either completely full of it in it for themselves or just a horrible person or the other half usually in the ukraine or russia is a catfisher or like a nigerian scammer it's just bonkers i I, i'm sorry for everybody here who has to listen to it week after week i mean we don't actually we've never done a segment on 90 day fiance so there's that but and look i get it I, no, I don't think we've ever have. We've talked about it with certain people on the show, but I don't think we've ever actually done a segment. And that's because I realize there is visceral hate over reality television, of which I am a major, you know, 
I'm, I believe in that. I don't like reality television. That's what's so weird about it. With the exception of like Total Bellas, I don't watch reality television. I think it's horrible. The the, the fucking stuff my wife the the housewife stuff is just the worst. Like these talk about people trying to do fake scripted crap to get famous. I don't even like. Even though Allison did say something interesting last week, she said that if you want to be on the Real Housewives, you have to allow your full family to be on the show. If you try to pull in, I don't want my family on the show, then they make you like a guest like person, like a, 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 a secondary character. Like if you are want to be on the show, you have to have access to the full family. So it's not like they have to blank out or make sure kids not around, which I get. Um, 90 day fiance, because there's so many divorces. A lot of these are second marriages where people tr- like, they found, you know, they fell out of love. They try to find someone new. They're going overseas. There are a lot of kids in this that you don't see. That also, I think, lends it to why it seems more real. Because, you know, you would have kids that are part of divorce wouldn't be on the show. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I've talked too much about 90 Day Fiance. The, um, right now, you can say... <laughs> Do you hate me? People, There have been no complaints about 90 Day Fiancé, and I've gotten at least two people I know of to watch it because of this. There is The Other Way, which started last night. That is the one where like the other, like the American couple go to live in the other country full-time. And then there is the Happily Ever After, which follows couples that did get married on 90 Day Fiancé, what they're doing now. And then there's still the Quarantine spinoff, and then there is still the What Now spinoff, I, 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 you know, if you want to just watch, like, you know what it's replaced, Hambone? Sadly, it's replaced wrestling. That's kind of it. I mean, I watch NXT and AEW and I watch pay per views and I might do the Hulu cuts while I'm making dinner. But I, I can't. I can't. NXT was awesome. Anybody out there, if you want to catch a great pay per view, it's never been a bad takeover. This is definitely not, you know, this is continuing that, um, that happiness so definitely check that out Hamboned, how can the kids reach you you can find me on the twitter at handbreaker i tweet about cute animals i tweet about dungeons and dragons i tweet about professional wrestling you can find me on instagram at john hambone mcguire where you can see my day-to-day adventures and podcasting and life mostly just my adventures in podcasting because i haven't left the house george where can the people find you people can find me at glk creative on instagram and on twitter instagram's more rock and roll and tiki twitter is more Everything going on in the world and tech, lots of tech, speed tests, lots of speed tests. Cultofgeorge.com is my blog. You can find our entire archive on MyTaiTV.com, including all our old videos. We will do video again one day. I know people miss it. We love it too. When it's easy to do, it's actually not a bad thing. I want to make sure you guys are enjoying everything. Please let us know. If you like the new sound quality, we took all your, we, uh, we listen to you. We listen to all of you. I'm sorry. I apologize for the bad episode. We know which one it was. You won't happen again. I'm hopefully Hambone is working his ass off to uh, seamlessly make it seem like we're together. We're not together. He's at his dungeon. I'm in my dungeon. The world is awesome, and we're together in spirit. And we, you know, we're trying our best here. Hopefully, we'll shelter in place. Uh, no, I never want to do this with a mask on, so we'll figure that out down the line. Uh, but. We love you guys. Rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know what you want us to hear. If there's something you want us to cover and we can get access to it. If you're a band and you want us to review your album or just listen to it, we'll plug it. If you guys are a video game publisher, you want us to review your game, we're playing more games now that we're at home a lot more. Last of Us 2 drops next week. I don't think it comes out in time for me to review it or do an early review. It'll probably be the week afterwards. But check that out. Uh, I'm super hopeful for the world right now. Because that's all we've got. So, Hambone, take us out. Everybody remember, be nice. Aloha.